Hey, good morning, and my name is Matt, and it's my privilege, honor to welcome you all across Northwest Georgia and into the Tennessee Valley. So whether you're in our Hickson campus, way to the north, our Calhoun campus to the south, or Chatsworth, Dalton, and Ringgold in between, or maybe you're, uh, you're watching this online or somebody gave you a CD, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this time uh, with us. We're kicking off a new series today, so it's a great time to be in church and, and kind of be together as we go through a, a topic for the next several weeks. Also want to share with you that uh, we have a blog. It's called our. Uh, it's called um, <clears throat> robbers.cc forward slash blog. I blog that occasionally. I, I'm committed to doing it more frequently to try to keep you more um, up to date about things going on in our church or just things going on spiritually and and devotional thoughts and things of that nature. So you can go there and, and sign up and uh, and get those updates coming right to your inbox in your email. One of the things I'm going to invite you to do is pray with me about some of the prayer requests that came in last week via our next step cards or our website. Those cards are in the seat back in front of you or on the stage area nearby. And you can use those to communicate your prayer needs with us. We have a prayer team that'll pray over those. If you need prayer today, we always at the front of our services, in front of the stages at all of our venues and campuses, there'll be prayer team members or staff members or elders available to pray with you. And so in addition to these requests, and I write about this in my blog, our, our, our pastors, staff, and elders, we're in a season of prayer and fasting together this month just for some areas of repentance and discernment and uh, just about what God wants to do, what he is doing, what he's calling us away from, what he's calling us toward. So I just would invite you to pray for us as well as some of these requests that we see here that have come in through your prayer needs. And we as the church want to stand in the gap for one another. So would you bow your heads and I'll lead us in a prayer for this. God, I thank you that you uh, hear our prayers. And uh, God, I know we live in a broken world. We live in a world of, of fallenness. But God, we live in a world where you've put hope out in the form of your son, Jesus Christ. So it's in his name. God, we ask for hope and help and mercy and strength and wisdom in these requests and so many others that have come in. God, we're a church of people from all walks of life. And so in any given weekend, we've got people coming, God, who are dealing with broken marriages or they've got a loved one that needs deliverance or somebody that needs medical, a medical touch or medical healing or someone who's in bondage to addiction, God, or people who just need wisdom and clarity about how to parent, how to lead their organization or, or God, what to do in this business cycle. God, we present all those requests to you in the name of Jesus and ask for your grace and mercy to help your people in their specific time of need. God, I invite you to lead our church. I invite you, God, to be the pastor of this church. I pray, God, that we could hear from you in the direction you want us to go. And then, God, right now, as we just open your Bible, this amazing miracle of revelation and inspiration, I pray you'd find our hearts open and humble and teachable, God. There's going to be some things that we say, God, that in our own minds we cannot grasp. But with your help, God, we can see glories and beauties and truths that we would not otherwise see. So give us sight this morning to see what you want us to see. It's in your name we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was in a uh, kind of a mentoring relationship with, a, with another pastor. He's about 30 years older than I am, 20, 30 years older than I am. And I had about 10 sessions with him over the phone. 
And here was the sessions. The sessions were, all right, Matt, what are your questions? And I'd always have four to, ten, four to five questions for him. We'd talk for exactly one hour, and he would cut it off and say, see you next time. And then so it kind of went on like this, and then I was sort of out of questions, and I had more time, and I didn't know what to say. And so I said this. I said, hey, what should I be asking you, but I'm not? Uh, because I was just sort of at a loss, and it ended up being a great question. Because he said, let me tell you some things at your age or your church's dynamic where, that you ought to be asking and you ought to be looking at. And, and so as we head into a new year, there's a question that we're going to give you today that you might not be asking, but you need to ask it. And, and you need to ask it because I, I am convinced that this question will help you learn more about yourself and help you learn more about God than perhaps any other question. It, it, it'll help you no matter where you are this morning, <clears throat> no matter what baggage you're carrying, no matter what's going on in your life, in your soul, in your marriage, in your job. This question to me is a question that unlocks a panorama of insight and truth and helps us when we're confused and helps us when we're disappointed. Now, to get at this question, we're going to go into this Old Testament book of the Bible. It's a wisdom book called Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, wisest guy who ever lived. So if you have your Bibles and you go to the middle, that's like Psalms or something. Then you keep going to the right a little bit. You'll hit Proverbs, which is a bunch of short quick sayings. Go to the right one more, and you're going to hit Ecclesiastes. And, and while you're turning there, let me tell you a story about my college days and, and, and a crazy thing that I did. A friend of mine and I, we, you know, I went to college in Annapolis, Maryland, or in the Naval Academy, and the academy is situated on a river called the Severn River, and it was about... Um, negative 10 degrees or so it felt like. It was so cold that there were chunks of ice floating in the river. And he and I, and just to let you know, this guy later on went to become a Marine and has done very heroic and patriotic things for our country since 9-11. But, uh, so this kind of guy I was hanging out with, right? So uh, we decided it would be great if we got into our camouflage uh, uniforms and our combat boots and we ran and then together, one at a time, we jumped in the Severn River when it's negative 10 degrees and then we ran back and, and got a shower, all right? And so we did that. And, and then, you know, and we're like, when as soon as the cold water hits your body, you're like, man, this was not as good of an idea as it was when we were sitting in our warm dorm room. Dorm room. And so on the way back, it is so cold. There's, there's water stuck in our boots and it starts freezing to my leg hairs and everything. I get into the shower. It's, I, the shower is ice cold. I'm so cold, it felt like it was scalding hot. Now, I tell you that story for a variety of reasons. One is to, for, so you to know that I am one decision away from stupid. I was one decision past stupid uh, when I did that. You know, I tell you that, that we're all one decision away from stupid. Uh, I am. Here I am. The Navy trains me how to operate nuclear reactors, and I can't even figure out what not to do when it's cold outside and jump in a freezing cold river. But I also tell you that story to say a lot of times, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do, depends on what time it is. Because what if I told you this? I did the exact same thing, jumped in the exact same river that summer when it was 90 degrees outside. You're not questioning my stupidity now, right? So a lot of what you and I do depends upon the time. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Now listen, 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 listen. This does not say you can do what you want when you want. 
You you should not jump into a freezing cold river, okay? That doesn't say that, but it does say there's an occasion for everything when it's time. A time to give birth and a time to die. Some of you know this from a, a famous pop song. A time to plant and a time to uproot, but it's in the Bible, actually. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. This is called a merism. It's a poetic device in Hebrew where there's 14 pairs of opposites that reflect a time to do this and a time to do that. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count. <coughs> Excuse me. A time to uh, ca- a time to search and a time to count as loss. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You've lived long enough to realize that your life goes through certain times. When it's the time for love and dating or embracing, as we read, and a time for, who I need to kind of work on myself for a while. We recognize that sort of intuitively, but we don't ask this question, and it's the question I'm going to give you. We don't ask this question intentionally. So you recognize it intuitively, but you and I may not ask it intentionally. And the question is this, that we're not asking, but we probably should, is what season am I in? What season am I in? Now, I do not mean that it's January, so it's winter, and it's the new year. There's there's a season that's dictated by the lunar cycle and the earth's rotation around the sun, right? There's a season that's dictated by the calendar and the clock. But this is not the seasons that we're talking about. This is not the times that we're talking about. We're talking about something different and something equally important for us to discern. Just like you need to know the weather to know what you need to wear today. Do you wear your jacket? Do you you need your umbrella? What kind of shoes do you need? You need to know the time or the season that you're in in order to be prepared for the activity of God in your life in heaven, under under the heavens. So it's helpful if we think about two kinds of time, and we'll use these Greek words, kairos time and chronos time. Chronos is like your clock. It's, it's this time in the morning. It's this season. It's calendar, and it's clock. It's fall. It's winter. It's spring. Kairos time is more time as you experience it. Kairos time is more time like when you feel something. Kairos time is when you might say, hey, remember when nobody had a cell phone? You're not talking about chronos time, you're talking about kairos time. And there's something about that time that you and I know is different than the times we live in today. Do you remember that time when nobody had a computer? Do you remember that time before Wi-Fi? Do you remember that time when we got our first dog? All of that is kairos time. Now, the author in uh, Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes refers to this when he says this. <coughs> he says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? the times that we live in. He says, I have seen the task that God has given his people to keep them occupied. So God has a purpose or something for us to do, and it hinges upon our recognition of time. He has made, God has made everything appropriate in its time. So is it appropriate to jump in a freezing cold river in the winter time? 
No. Is it appropriate to go swimming or water skiing in the winter? No. Is it appropriate to get ready for baseball season here in a couple of weeks or a couple of months because we move into the spring? Yes. And the same thing applies to Kairos time, the appointed times of God. Now, Kairos time is more experienced and felt. It's where we might say things like, it was a good time. It was a bad time. It was a hard time. It was an appropriate time. If you've ever, if you're a guy and you've ever asked a lady out on a date or you've ever proposed to someone, then you've always been, when is the right time? And you're not so much thinking about, well, should I do it at 10.02 p.m. or 11.30? You're thinking Kairos time. You're thinking, when's the right season for this? When's the right moment for this? When would it be good? When would it be appropriate? So you intuitively understand Kairos time or seasons, but oftentimes we don't intentionally think about what I mean or what we mean by the season that you're in. So here's the, here's the truth. You walked in here today, whether you know it or not, and we're hoping you're going to learn to recognize it in our time together, in a season. You are, you're in a season personally. If you're a member of a team or an organization or a church family, you're in a season with that. Your family can be in a season. Your marriage can be in a season. Your kids can be in a season. Your friends can be in a season. And understanding how to relate to one another, how to relate to what's going on into your soul, in your soul, and how to relate to God, who is the one who has made everything appropriate in its time, hinges upon us what? Recognizing what time it actually is. Now, to get to the truth of the matter, like every week, we have to fight through what I call battle lines. What I mean by battle lines, I mean they're areas of unbelief in our lives, areas where we're just tempted to say, I know God says, but I think this is better. Battle line number one is this. God says there's a time for all things. That's what we just read in the Bible, which is from God. But we are being increasingly led to believe what? All things can be done all the time. All things can be done all the time. I mean, we live in the world of what? 24-7 access, 24-7 internet, 24-7 uh, <coughs> electricity, 24-7 gyms, 24-7 rev- restaurants, 24-7 access and availability through our smartphone devices. And so subconsciously, we start thinking, man, I can have anything that I want when I want it. If I want this, I can order it online. If I want to go eat at 2 o'clock in the morning, some place is there to meet my needs and scratch my itch, right? And so we deceptively learn to live without boundaries, and we deceptively learn to live without respect for the time. But we know intuitively it's dangerous, but yet we're tempted to push the borders and go past what God has ordained and into what we think we ought to be able to do when we think we ought to be able to do it. So so I'll give you an example. If your child comes up to you and says, hey, mom, hey, dad, I think I'm going to get married, and they're still in high school, you suddenly have, whoa, whoa, let's talk about this, because in your mind, you're like, I just don't think it's time for that. If you just go through, let me talk to single again, people. If you just go through a really tough breakup, really tough, like it's brutal and it's bad, and then the next day you walk in and you say, hey, I met someone and I think she's the one. I'm going to look at you and say, I think you're one decision away from stupid too, right? Because you just, it just doesn't feel like it's the time. But yet, 
we sort of think when we want it is when we ought to be able to have it. But we just read there's a time to heal. We just read there's a time to avoid from embracing. Just like there's a time to jump in a cold river and a time not to. Now, the second battle line that we face in this, and when I say battle line, I mean just an area where you're going to be tempted not to believe God, which is where all the issues with God come, belief versus unbelief, is, (coughs) excuse me, the Bible says time is God-ordained and God-given, that we live within the constraints of a season, and God has something to do with putting us or permitting us to be in that season versus we want it to be self-determined and self-controlled. Hey, I just want it to be when I want it. I, I want to be in a season of reaping and harvesting. I want to be in a, success, a season of success and, and, and blessing. But listen, if you've been in any kind of business or any kind of startup, if you've led an organization, <clears throat> if, if you've been a member of a sports team, what do you know? You know you've got to go through seasons of preparation and grit and grind in order to get harvest and blessing. You know that a marriage that lasts 20, 30, 40, 50 years is not because it was easy for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It was grit and it was grind and it was tough and it was hard conversations coupled with refreshments and celebration and intimacy and all of those kind of things. And so what we have to recognize is we have a God who is not bound by times or seasons, but has placed his creation inside the confines of times and seasons. And part of the reason is so that we could say the same thing the Psalms has said in Psalm 31, where he said, my times, God, they're in your hands. And that would be a great lesson if we walked out of here today and we could say, God, my times are in your hands. Instead of trying to force the season We receive the season. Because here's what I know from my little foray into the cold, icy waters of the Severn River outside of Chesapeake Bay, Virginia, Maryland. Here's what I know. When you try to control the season, the season ends up controlling you. That's just a principle, whether you believe it or not. So what do we do with this understanding that God has ordained everything to be appropriate in its time. First thing is this, (coughs) excuse me, we need to learn to discern the season or recognize what season we're in. We need to understand and discern the season we're in. So the, the Ecclesiastes writer, King Solomon, says it this way. So we, first is we discern the season, and next is, here's what he says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. That's the key verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has also put eternity in their hearts. I say it this way, there's no atheists in foxholes. Everybody you ever meet has a sense of eternity, whether it's longing for justice or wanting to have a hope that does not disappoint or, or asking questions like, why am I here and what's wrong with me and what's wrong with the world? All of that are echoes of eternity, and all of those are questions that don't get ultimately resolved until eternity. So God has done that to us. He's put eternity in our hearts. And then it says this, but no one can discover the work of God or the work God has done from beginning to end. Now, what's he saying? He's saying it's very hard to discern God's, the totality of God's work. 
It's very hard to look out in the world from beginning to end and say, this is exactly what God is doing. However, what he says we can do is this. We can understand the timing and that everything is appropriate, and so we can discern the season. We may not can figure out exactly what God is doing from start to finish. We get an idea and glimpses. So what he's saying is you may have questions that don't get resolved until eternity or don't get resolved until a new season appears on your life, but to discern the season you're actually living in today, and that's step one. So to give you a handlebar for this, okay, and this is not necessarily biblical. I do get it from a book called Spiritual Rhythms. You can kind of think of your life the same way you think of the four seasons. And when we think about the four seasons, these are broad categories of seasons that you and I tend to go through. So in the winter seasons, we have times of crisis. We have where it's dry and doubtful. You can be in this personally. Let's say you're a member of an athletic team or an organization or a business. You can have a winter here. Your marriage can be here. You can be great with God, but your marriage is not. And so it's discerning the seasons, but this is a winter season. There's spring seasons of renewal and recovery where everything starts to feel hopeful and again and there's excitement and anticipation and, and, and signs of new life. There's also the summer, which is like fun and celebration, rest and enjoyment. Seasons where it's just like, man, life is good. Well, the season is good. The season is good. And then there's the fall where we're harvesting where we're busy, where we're grinding it out. You can also think in terms of seasons of dryness, seasons of waiting, seasons of trial and testing, seasons of (coughs) spiritual warfare, seasons where we're just expecting and waiting, or seasons of celebration. So those are four ways to look at your life, to look at your marriage, and to say, hey, what kind of season are we in? And not to judge everything by the season, but simply to discern the season. So we become like what the Bible talks about, the sons of Issachar. So from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men, it said, understood the signs of the time. And the signs of the time did what? Help them to know the best course for Israel to take. So step one is to discern what season am I in? Step two is this, to accept the season rather than to resist the season. You may wish it were fall in your business. You may wish the harvest was, had come and you were reaping all the benefits, but you're in the winter. So you have to accept the season that you're in. The writer King Solomon goes on in verse 12 and he says this. <clears throat> he says, I know there's nothing better for them, that's you and I people, than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. Now he's just defined life in terms of seasons. So he says, we're going to enjoy that, which means we have to accept there's a time for healing, there's a time for embracing, there's a time for planting, there's a time for uprooting, there's a time for mourning, and there's a time for dancing. So we have to accept all of that as part of our definition of the good life. He says this then, it's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts in the appropriateness of time. So part of accepting the season requires us to do something very challenging. We have to release inappropriate expectations and embrace limitations. We have to release 
inappropriate expectations and embrace limitations. If your marriage is in a dry season and you expect it to be like it was on your first, second, third date or like your honeymoon, guess what? You're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to be tempted to cash it in and bail. If you start a company and the first six months are like, man, all this work, all this work, and then everything's flat because you're still preparing and you're still getting your name out there, you're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to be tempted to bail. You're going to be tempted to get discouraged. You've got to have appropriate expectations and understand limitations. I tell you this, when Rockbridge, we started with 25 adults 16 years ago. There were things back then that we wished for, but we had to embrace our limitations and our expectations. You know, I, I follow the NFL. My kids like it, and it's really weird. The Arizona Cardinals hired a coach, gave him one year, and then fired him. And everybody's like, why would you give a guy one year when it takes multiple years to turn around an organization or to get everything like you want with your culture and your DNA? And it's because I think the Arizona Cardinals didn't do what? They had inappropriate expectations. They didn't embrace limitations. You have to understand that and, and embrace those things. And we loved the thought, right? We loved the theory that I can live without limits. I don't need to sleep. The cold Severn River is not going to affect me. Yeah, right. Right? Doesn't work that way. Some of the reasons you're mad at God or mad at your wife or mad at your employees could very well be because you're wishing you were in season of spring and you're in the fall. It could very well be just that your expectations are not appropriate for this season you're in. Another thing we have to do to accept the season is resist three things. We have to resist the temptation to control, to compare, to complain, or to quit. Let's start with number one. A lot of us, we like to be in control, and so when I challenge you week in and week out, give God, give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, you're like, what does that mean? It means what it, exactly what it means, right? Everything. So we want to control we want to control people. We want to control the times. <clears throat> we want to control so we can try to manipulate or scheme or bring it back to what we want it to be when we want it to be. And that never works. Another one is we don't want to compare. Now, this is challenging because you're sitting in church right now, for example. You've got neighbors. And you might be in the proverbial winter season of your soul and someone next to you is in the summer or the spring. And so we're singing these worship songs to Jesus, and they're like worshiping their face off, and, their hand, and you're just looking, and you're like, what in the world is wrong with me? I'm not feeling it. Well, because you're in one season, and your neighbor's another. Or you open up your social media account, and everybody, let me just give you a secret about social media. Everybody looks cooler and happier than they really are on social media, Okay. So you, you open up and you're, you're feeling terrible about yourself because you're in a grind season, you're in a grit season, you're in a trial season, and you open up and you look at your three best friends, and man, it looks like it is like summertime for them. And you're like, and I'm like, look, you don't know what happened before that picture was taken or the nanosecond after that picture was taken. So withhold judgment. Do not compare yourself. 
Don't compare Rockbridge to another church. We're in a spiritual season here. I'll blog more about that early next week. So we have to understand those dynamics. Your, your best friend that's a couple, they might be in the springtime of their marriage, and you and your wife are just pressing through a winter season. So don't compare. Third, don't complain, don't quit. It's my experience that Americans and American Christians are the best complainers in the world, okay? Um, and, and some of that's sort of just given the dynamics here. But complaining, listen, the Bible says it bluntly, and I'll, I'll just use the Bible. It says do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, let's zoom out for a minute. Why does the Bible say not to complain? Well, we just read where if God appoints the season and you complain, you're complaining against God, who's wise, who's infinite, who's eternal and all-knowing. Okay? It's like, you know, if you've been an athlete, I remember when I was an athlete, we'd go to, we'd go to football camp, Right? And it was the season of grind. It was the season of, of producing mental and physical toughness. And we all knew why we were there and why we needed it. And complaining didn't help because we knew where we wanted to be after week 10 of the season. We knew we wanted to play for a championship. So you got to go through those seasons. So you don't complain because they're under the control of your coach. You're under the control of a good, good father. And you're like, I don't think God's good. Look at his son hanging on the cross for you instead of you. He is. And then the last thing is just don't quit. Don't quit your marriage in a winter. Don't quit your first job just because it got tough on day two. Don't complain and don't quit. Now, just, just, if we just stopped right now, if we just stopped right now, we discern the season, we accept the season, here, here's three benefits or a couple of benefits that immediately come available. You have more peace, less guilt, frustration, bitterness, and jealousy. Because sometimes you're jealous of someone who's in a summer or a fall while you're in the winter. Listen, listen, their time will come. So will yours. But it's all in God's hands if you cooperate with God. Sometimes we have guilt, right? And it's false guilt. How many of you guys have ever said, I should be happier than I am right now? I, I shouldn't be struggling with this right now. Well, maybe you should, because that's the season you're in. And learning to accept the season, <coughs> we get less guilt. And then we have more peace, because we realize, just like God uses winter, spring, summer, and fall to produce crops that we harvest and feed and nourish our bodies and our families, God has ordained kairos seasons and kairos times, and so we're at peace that we know It'll produce something in God's time. No farmer, no farmer gets stressed because it's winter. No farmer gets stressed because of the season they're in. Because they know the seasons are there for a reason. And the seasons are there to produce a harvest. Just the same thing with your Father in heaven. Lastly, we go to verse 14. <coughs> Solomon says this. He says, I know that everything God does will last forever. Boom. So God's got you in a season, and he's got a work for you. He's got a work for you, a purpose for you in that season. And he says, look, I'm not trying to harvest 
what's going on in that season. I'm not necessarily trying to harvest your 20s in your 30s, although that can happen. He says, I'm trying to harvest what I'm doing in your 20s in forever. That just changes the game, right? Changes perspective, right? So everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. So don't fight God. Don't resist God. He says God works so that people will be in awe of him. Everybody say this word, awe. Say it, one, two, three, awe. Everybody will be in awe of him. So here's what that means practically, okay? Awe means a fear of God, a healthy fear. I don't want to stray from God. I don't want to miss God. I want to see God. So here's what that means practically for you and I. There are beauties and glories and truths about God and his character that you can't see unless you go through all the seasons. Like God looks beautiful in the wintertime when you understand that your times are in his hands and he's made everything appropriate in his time. God looks beautiful in the fall. God looks beautiful in any season. And so part of the reason God puts us in seasons is so that we can learn to stand in awe of him more. Like if you know that about creation, there are things that are beautiful about a snowy day or a snowy mountain. There's things that are beautiful about spring. And who doesn't love it when the leaves change and you see them on the mountains? Beautiful creation points to a beautiful creator. God, beautiful in season, in every season, because he's a God of all seasons. And I've told you this, and uh, some of you this, you know, when we went through Beth's leukemia, that went way through the roof. It was a winter Kairos time. But there were beauties about God that I discovered in a hospital bed that I never would have seen if I just stayed in the spring or summer. That's how glorious your God is. That's how beautiful he is. So he, so I never would have seen that about God. It's like when you take a trip around a mountain and on one side of the mountain, you're like, wow, that's beautiful. And then you get, wow, that's amazing. Wow, there's a waterfall. God in the summer, God in the winter, God in the spring. Oh my God, in the fall, you're so amazing. So you stand in awe of him. So that leads to point number three. Embrace the season. Embrace the season. Now, here, now, this is key. You don't embrace it like a victim. Oh, I guess I've got to go through this. You don't embrace it with resignation and bitterness. Eh, everybody's going to go through it. You embrace it like, all right, God. What do you have for me in this season? I want what you have to give. You don't resist it. You don't fight it. And you don't resent it. There's a time to heal. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a winter. There's a spring. There's a summer. There's a fall. Now, to embrace the season, let me give you a couple of points. I realize I'm raising more questions and giving answers. So you've got to come back next week, okay? But we embrace the season, Okay. First thing is this, do the basics in every season. There's some things that are seasonless, all right? So if, if, if someone came up to you and said, hey, I think I'm decided I'm going to finally start taking care of my body, you would not say, no, don't do that. It's not the right season for that, right? No, 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 you wouldn't do that. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, 
I haven't opened my Bible in a while and I haven't gone to church in a while, but you know what? I think I'm gonna go. You would never say, well, you might wanna wait for the right season on that. No, it's always the right season to get a good night's sleep. It's always the right season to take care of your physical body. It's always the right season to feed your soul. It's always the right season to get in biblical community, which is why we're talking this month about small group connect and getting involved in a small group. It's always the right season to open the word of God, which is what we encourage you to do week in, day in, day out. It's always the right season to pray. It's never bad. It's, you know, it's always the right season to eat healthy. So do the basics in every season. Realize this now. We're all trying to be disciples or students of Jesus A disciple of Jesus is not a timekeeper, but a seasonal steward. We would love to say, time's up, God. Let's go to the next season. We would love to say, hey, God, I'm ready for summer. Make it happen. I can't make that happen any more than I can make it happen here, standing here talking to you on January the 13th. We're a seasonal steward. See, Jesus' disciples learned this right after he uh, resurrected, right before he went to heaven in the ascension. So they came together and they said, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus, are you bringing up in the world and, and just put everything under order at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. I do not pay much attention to people that tell me the world's about to end. And, I don't, and the reason I don't is because of this, this verse right here. Because Jesus told us not to pay much attention because it's under the Father's authority, not mine. What did he say to do? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, so you need to wait for power. And he says this, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are going to tell people about me. You're going to tell people about me and how I am the God of all seasons. So we are not timekeepers, we're stewards. Some ways you and I can steward the season is this. Learn a better question than how's it going. How's it going? Here's the better question. Are we doing the right things? Are we doing the right things? Is way, because some seasons you're like, it's just not going well. In the summertime, in the springtime, you might say, hey, man, everything's going great. Everything's going great. Well, how do you know? Because it's hot outside and we can go to the beach or everything is great. But you may not be doing the right things. So the better question is, hey, are we doing the right things? Resist the temptation to ask this question. (coughs) Why am I here? The short answer is God has ordained the seasons, and he permits or puts you, he permits or places you in a season. It's appropriate in its time. The better question is, what can I learn, and what opportunity can I seize? What can I learn from the winter? What can I learn from the summer? What can I learn from the fall? What opportunities exist in this season that do not exist in other seasons? And seize that moment. And then finally, always got to remember this. Never, ever forget eternity. Never, ever forget eternity. I heard this quote. It's a great quote. Some of you may need it. Do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Do not forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. When I say don't forget eternity, I mean there is coming a day when everything is made right and everything is made perfect, and God is investing in eternity more than he's investing in the 20s or in the 21st century. God is investing more for you in how you will be in forever than more than you how you will be in 2019. 
So to seize and understand what God is doing in whatever season of your soul you're in, you have to understand and have the perspective of eternity. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't close and share with you a season that all of us are in, no matter what. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says this, We work together with him, the church works together with Jesus, and we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't neglect what God is giving. Listen, because sometimes we get more upset about what God is not giving than what God is giving, right? So don't miss what God is giving, is what he's saying. He says, for at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And here he goes. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are in a season where God is allowing anybody that wants to trust him, anybody that wants to follow him, anybody that wants to give him their sin debt and their guilt and their shame, he'll pay for that and he'll absolve you of all guilt and he'll give you Jesus' righteousness and he'll make Jesus your king and your savior and put God, the Holy Spirit, in your heart. (coughs) He's already said yes to you. He died for you. He died instead of you. He rose again, validating him as the son of God and the king of kings as the God of all seasons, right? So have you given Jesus the steering wheel of your life? Have you, has there ever come a point where you said, I can't, God can, I'll let him? Has there ever come a point when you said, I want God more than anything? Has there ever come a point when you said, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot earn my way into God's good grace. I have to receive it. That's it. And I do that now. If not, why not right now? It's the season. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. You've got next step cards you can use to share your prayer needs, share any decision or spiritual question you have. Love to help you with that as we learn to move and cooperate with the God of all seasons. Let's pray together, church. God, I thank you for everybody here today. We walked in here, God, in a season. I pray you've given us some tools to discern the season (coughs) that we would accept it and embrace it, God, for your glory so we can stand in awe of you. God, help us to see you in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall. God, help us to see your sufficiency, your superiority, and be in awe of you no matter what season we're in. God, be with us as we move through this series. Do great things in us. Do great things through us, God, as we learn to cooperate with you based on how you're showing yourself in the season we're in. I pray for anybody here today, God, that today is their day to be right with you. Today is their day to become your son or your daughter. Today is their day to become a Christ follower. Today is the day where they give you that steering wheel of their life. And so, God, I rejoice with those who are saying yes to you because you have first said yes to them, and you're drawing them to yourself right now. God, be with us as we continue to close our service out, but let our hearts never close to you, God, as you work in us and you work through us, in and out of every season that you have declared as appropriate in its time. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. In your name we pray. Amen.